You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created on heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. In him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. The firstborn from the dead, that in everything he will be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven making peace. By the blood of the cross, him we proclaim. It's good to be back with y'all. couple weeks off. It's been great. If you are visiting, my name's Bill. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and you picked a doozy of a week to visit. You may not come back. If you have problems with the sermon, email Clint. Uh, That's all I got to say. We have been, uh, one of the things we do here as a church is that we typically will just work through books of the Bible. Um, So we start at the beginning, and then we'll work till the end, and that means sometimes we come to challenging passages uh, some, some that run countercultural. Today just happens to be one of those days. And we have been in a series in Colossians for about nine weeks. We got about four more. We'll finish right up, right before Advent and Thanksgiving. And so um, well, we're excited about kind of wrapping this up. I hope it's been encouraging to you. The first half of this letter we've seen is about putting Jesus really on display. It's about proclaiming him. That's what we, we call the, the series. We proclaim him or him we proclaim uh, because it's about who Jesus is and what he has done and putting him on display. He is central to everything. And when he is central to everything in our lives, he starts, we've been looking at this last couple weeks, he's, he starts changing us from the inside out, right? It's not an outside in deal. It's an inside out uh, that he has given us a new heart. And so we start putting every area of our lives under his authority and under his, uh, under his will. And, and that's really where we've been going. And if you think about this, where are the two areas that you spend most of your life? At home and at work, right? Some of you at your CrossFit, you need to repent, right? But the, home and work, these are the two areas that Paul is going to address in the next couple weeks that we're gonna look at. How does Jesus... uh, proclaiming him, what does it look like in our homes, and then what does it look like at our work? And today we're gonna focus in our homes, in our our families, right? And this is is a challenging passage. Not because it's difficult to understand. Here's, Here's why, probably not for what you think. It's hard because I have to stand up here and tell you what God says about things that I stink at. I have... I have to own the fact that I'm gonna have to talk about being a dad and a husband and I stink and I'm broken. And, I, and, I, and I'm not one saying, I got this together. Here, I figured it out. I've read all the books. 
Now it's your turn. I'm sitting here studying this passage and putting myself under say, how do I address people and say, this is what God says when you are such a wretch? And so that's the challenge for me this morning. And I need you to know that, that I'm not up here from a position of, I got it together, now it's your turn. I'm up here saying, I'm the chief sinner in the room. And so please just listen to what God has to say. And I'm in process like the rest of us. Uh, that's why we need a savior, y'all. That's why him we proclaim. That's why, because we are not there, right? And, and so I'm reminded of, of what we looked at a couple weeks ago, and this is the encouragement to us. You were dead in your trespasses, the uncircumcision of your flesh, and God made alive us. He made us alive together with him. How? Having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of our debt that stood against us with its legal demands. And how did he do that? He set it aside, nailing it to the cross, so wherever you're at this week, if you hear something challenging, you hear something that you're like, man, I have failed here. Here's what you need to understand. If you're in Christ, you're forgiven, you're clean. And yes, you may have bolowed the whole deal yesterday. But we, we cannot do anything about what we've done yesterday. That yesterday is done. But we can do something about tomorrow. And that's, that's what we want to think about. All right? Now, now that we know what God has said, let's, let's talk about tomorrow. Right? Let's, let's move and, and make some movement towards what God is calling us to, to do, right? So we're gonna talk about really the family today. We'll look at work next week. And, and we're not even gonna scratch the surface. There's been books and books and books. I got a couple up here that are good resources if you wanna look at them about family, about marriage. Um, I'm not gonna have time to go into all the nuances because we have single parents and we have uh, single again and we have divorce and we have widow. And, and so what my goal is, is this is just a conversation starter for you wherever you're at. If you're single, these are kind of, it's, it's you're like, well, this doesn't really apply to me. It does because you want to get in your heart what, what you're looking for, right? You, you wanna prepare yourself for that future spouse and for kids and all these things. And so there is application for all of us. And even if God has called you to a life of singleness, you need to be encouraging your married friends towards these things. And so we all have something here today. Uh, and it's an important passage because God has ordained kind of two institutions in, in creation, his church and the family. And both are really a microcosm of each other. They, all, they have the same mission, really. So the church is, is, is supposed to be one. We're supposed to be united. A marriage, the two become one. They're united. The church is supposed to make disciples. The family makes disciples, right? Be fruitful and multiply. The church is supposed to be a model of the unconditional love of Jesus for his church. The marriage, the husband and wife, are an unconditional a model of unconditional love of Jesus in his church. They, they, they have the same function and goal. And this is why the enemy attacks the church and the family. And so this is a vital thing for us. If we're gonna proclaim him in our homes, if we're gonna be set apart people, the church and the family are supposed to be set apart, are supposed to be distinct, are supposed to be light. So what does that look like? So we're gonna kind of talk about that today. And if you're looking for three steps to whatever or four principles for whatever, I ain't got it. What I do have is Paul is going to address each person kind of in the family unit. He's gonna say, here's what you need to know. And where he's gonna hit is he's not gonna tell everything about being a dad or everything about being a husband or everything about being a wife. He's gonna hit your weak spot. He's gonna hit the area that we most, that have that tendency to, to fail in. So it's like if you, you look at the other team and you see their weak spot. If I'm on a basketball court, you say, there's their weak spot. We're going after him. That's what, that's what Paul is gonna do. This is your weak spot. This is where you need to be aware and he's gonna give you some help here to how, this, how you can live a, a, have a marriage or have a family that proclaims 
him. So we're gonna look at Colossians chapter three, just 18 to 21 today. All right, if you don't know where Colossians is in the Bible, we're gonna have it on the screen. You can grab that one in front of you. Don't be ashamed. It's, it's kind of towards the back, but you look at that table of contents, look for the one that begins with C towards the end, Colossians, right? Uh, remember, this is a letter. Paul is in jail. He's writing to a church he's never been to. And now he's in that kind of the real practical section of the uh, epistle. The first half is kind of who Jesus is, what he's done. The second half is now what does it look like in our lives? And so we're gonna uh, address this today. Um, and and we, we need to understand that this is rooted in God's goodness and his intent for the family, right? God created everything good, 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 good. And then he gives us instruction and, and some of us are, may push back on some of these things and you, and, and you have to ask, would God say something is good and created as good and want you to bring, it, to bring you joy and then try to hamstrung you? And then try to handicap you? No. Right? And so what we really need to do is we, we don't wanna get back to 1950s. You know, people say, oh, you're just trying to get back to 1950s. I'm really not. 1950s were not, I mean, there were certain things that were fine, but that's not, what, that's not God's intent to get back to the 50s. God's intent is to get back to Genesis 2. Right, when everything is good, 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 good. And that's the direction we're going. And so if we're gonna do that, I need to give you, originally we had, we, you know, we had a hurricane day, right? Originally today I was gonna just preach Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and give you some foundational principles for next week where I was gonna cover this passage. We lost it for hurricane, so I'm gonna do that in seven minutes and then get to the passage. So you're gonna have to write this down. I've actually preached something similar back in our First Timothy series, back in our Ephesians series. You can go back and listen to it. But I need to give you three foundational principles that are gonna, they're gonna drive the commands that Paul gives and they're essential to understand them. So you don't have to turn there but I'm gonna kind of fly through Genesis one through three, give you the, the 50,000 foot. So God creates, right? In the beginning, God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I'm thinking John 1, 1. So right, so he creates everything, six days. Uh, and every, after every day, it is good, it is good, it is good. He comes to the sixth day and something different happens. The Trinity starts having a conversation with themselves. He says, let us make man in our image, and that's mankind, humans, after our likeness, and let them have dominion. They're to be in charge over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female. That's important, right? So male and female are both created in the image of God. So God, as he's in, in his glory and in his passion and his joy, as he's, he's speaking the, the universe into existence on this little dirt ball in the middle of this great expanse, he puts the crown of his creation, those who were made in his image, male and female, right? And, and they are they are valuable because they are made in his image. And the idea of image, there's a lot of things there, but one of the biggest is we are his representatives. We live on this planet having his dominion to show that there is a God, right? We're kind of his ambassadors, we're his viceroys on this planet. And the first principle you have to get based on this kind of idea is that men and women are completely equal. Why? Because they are both made in the image of God. Our value and our culture is based on how much money you make, what kind of race you are, uh, what kind of job you have, your performance, your appearance, all these different things. That's where we value. So this guy, he makes a lot of money. This gal, she's in charge. So they're worth more. Not in God's economy. In God's economy, you are invaluable because you are made in the image of God. Whether it's one of the six-month-olds that are in the back right there or the 96-year-olds, equal in value. 
right? So in my house, I have, there's six people, there's a dog and a cat. And I've told you this before, but if the zombie apocalypse happens and we're thinking, man, we don't have enough food, who goes first? I'm not, it, pro, the dog goes, Milton's gone. Because we can, we can eat, a, there's a lot of Milton hamburgers that can be made. He's 100 pounds. The cat's gone too. I mean, we're gonna, we're, but we're not, we're not going to which kid makes me annoyed. Why? Because there's value there. Because they're made in the image of God. Right? More than the trees, more than the fish, more than the animals. Right? And, and, and that's important for you to get. But also, based on this verse, not only are men and women equal, men and women are different. They are distinct. They are unique. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female. There's a distinction right from the beginning. Equal, but there is, they complement one another. Right? They're different physically, emotionally, endocrinally, endocrinally, whatever the word is, but doctors, you can help me later. Every, and there's in multiple ways they're different. There's some similarities, but there's, there's distinction, and that is on purpose. It's on purpose that God has done this. And you can even see the distinction in how they were created. If you, Genesis chapter two, Genesis one is kind of a big picture summary of how God creates. And then in Genesis two, he kind of zooms in on day six to tell you exactly what it looks like. And so verse seven of Genesis two, it says God takes some dirt, which make, this makes a lot of sense, man. He gets some dirt and he makes male. Right? He makes men. And then he puts the male, Adam, in the, in the middle of the garden, the Lord took the man, and this is, it's, it's articular in the Hebrew. It's not mankind here. It's, he takes the man, and he puts the man in the garden to work it and keep it. And God gives, so he gives him a job. He gives him some instructions. He says, you may not eat of that tree. You may eat of every other tree. So he gives him responsibility, a task, instructions. Let me ask you a question. Where is Eve at this point? She does not exist yet. And this is, this is important because in every other thing in creation, when God's creating the hippos, he goes, boom, hippos, two hippos, male, female. When he creates oak tree, you know, oak tree, it's complete, it's done. Every other animal, everything is created together except for those in his image. And there's a reason because he's trying to teach something. In the order of creation, he is teaching something. Just like on day seven, he rests. Why? Was he tired? No, he's teaching something. And so what ends up happening, he gives the man responsibility and he gives him a task, he gives him instruction and then he says this, it's not good. Everything else was good. It's not good that man should be alone. So I'm gonna make him a helper that is fit for him. And the Hebrew word for helper is ezer and it's a, it's a word that means uh, essential counterpart. In, in our English language, it sounds a little bit derogatory, not in the original. In the original, it, it's one who brings strength and accountability, and, and, and enablement, the one who comes alongside. The idea is this, man cannot do the job, so what does God do? He gives him someone who can. And God looks down and says, okay, Adam can't do this. He doesn't say, oh, he needs a couple buddies. He needs a couple frat pals, right? He doesn't create a bunch of dudes, right? Because you know it would be a mess. He says, I need to create someone who will come alongside and enable him to do what I have called him to do. And so he f makes him fall asleep, he, brings a, he takes a rib out of his side, he fashions the woman, right? And you know the story. 
But the idea is this, remember, this is, this is on purpose. God is, is omniscient, he knows all things. The earth needs something to cultivate it. So what does he do? He takes earth and he gives earth what it needs. The man needs something to do what God's called, so he takes it out of the man. And he takes a rib and he fashions what he needs. And it's a beautiful picture of, of God's divine order where God leads the man who lovingly leads his wife and they steward together and have dominion over creation. It's a divine order that he has created. It has nothing to do with equality, importance, giftedness. It has everything to do with order because in creation there is order. And there's this great quote, and I used it before by Matthew Henry, but I, I need to put it up again because I just think it's so good. It says, the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. It's a great quote by Matthew Henry. And, and God did it to teach us there's order in the universe with gravity and the solar system and oxygen and all these things. There's order in the church with elders. There's order in the home. And it's nothing to do with equality. It has everything to do with God is a God of order. The Trinity is a, a Godhead of order. And he is trying to model that in the family and in the church. And so everything is great. They're naked and not ashamed. It's a big party in the garden. Until what? Until sin enters. Chapter three, we don't have time to go through it, but you remember what happens. The serpent comes to Eve, starts lying about God. God is keeping this from you. God is not good. God has not promised you good things. All these lies, she buys it. She takes the food. She eats it. She gives it to her husband who was standing right there watching it. And everything blows up. And instead of being naked and not ashamed, what are they doing now? They're hiding. They're, they're hiding from each other. They were naked and not ashamed. Now they got little fig leaves, Tarzan and Jane going on. And they're trying to hide from God. And so when God comes walking in the garden, it's interesting, God's walking in the garden. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees, and the Lord God called. Who does God call? Now God's not like surprised here. He knows what's happened. God calls the man, and it's again, it's articular. He doesn't call y'all, where y'all at? I see you on a tree. He calls the man, why? Because he was responsible. It's not that God doesn't talk to women. It's not that God doesn't speak through women. You got prophetesses. You got all sorts of examples of that. But in this case, God calls the man because the man was responsible. And he said, where are you? He said, who, he said I'm naked. I'm hiding. I heard you. And God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree? Rhetorical question. And then Adam, and this is how corrupt the, the world has already become. Adam sells Eve out faster than a Braves trip to the playoff. <laughs> you thought I forgot. I've been going <laughs> Right? This woman, he blames the woman. He actually blames God because he said, you gave her to me, so it's your fault. She blames the snake. Right? Blame game. We still have it. If my husband would X, if my wife would X, it's their fault. And so then at the end of the chapter, God says, because of this, because of sin, this is what's gonna happen. And he, and he tells the woman that in verse 15 and 16, that which was supposed to be blessing to you, kids, now it's, it's gonna be painful. There's gonna be pain in childbirth, right? And I, it, it's true, I've been there. I mean, I got a great theology of an epidural. It's, it's a real good one, but there's still pain, right? 
And then there's a second part to the curse. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, literally to control. Your, your desire will be to control your husband, but he shall rule over you. And the idea there is men are jerks because of the fall. Men oppress, demean, devalue. All right? And this is true in all the world. 99, once, in a, once in a blue moon, you'll hear about a wife beating up her husband. And he don't say anything. You're not gonna tell anybody that. Who's the oppressor 99% of the time in the world? Men. And it's because of the fall. It's, it's a result they were supposed to care and love and protect and instead they demean. This is why I say, we don't, it's not that we wanna go back to the 1950s because in the 1950s, women were devalued. They didn't get paid as much. They were treated as objects. We don't want leave it the beaver, we want Genesis 2. Right? That's the idea. But that's part of the curse. That's part of what's happened. For men, they were supposed to work. It's supposed to be a blessing to them. It was supposed to come easy. Now it's not gonna be easy. It's gonna be hard. By the sweat of your brow, the earth is gonna fight against you. And, and here's what you need to know. The punishment has kind of fit the crime. And this is the last kind of idea that I want you to grab. Men are equal with women. Men are distinct with women. And then there's different core responsibilities and core sins that men and women have. Man was created with the core responsibility. I mean, there's a lot of things, but ultimately he was called to lead. Instead, he was passive. He stood by, stood by let the snake talk to his wife, and said, like, uh, why are we talking to a snake? That's, we've been here like a week, and I haven't seen it happen yet. Shouldn't be doing that. But no, he's passive. He stands back. And this, man, is the struggle you will have because you are in Adam, in your DNA as passivity. You're just being passive. Just let it fly, I don't care. God has called you to lead and, and our core sin is passivity. You need to know that because that's where the command's gonna go. Ladies, God has created you. And it's, not, and it's not saying that ladies don't have leadership gifts or teaching gifts. That's not what we're saying. Read Proverbs 31. That woman, it says she is teaching truth. She is strong. Her, it says her arms are strong. Right? So this has nothing to do with giftedness or personality. It has everything to do how God ultimately designed you to do is your, your core responsibility is partnering. The one who comes alongside and brings strength and brings accountability and, and it makes this, this deal work. But your core sin is independence. What does Eve want? She doesn't want to listen to God. She doesn't want to listen to her husband. She doesn't want to listen to anyone. She wants her own path. And this is what Satan did. He flipped the order of creation. It was God who is leading man to lovingly care for and protect and provide for his wife as they both have dominion over the earth. Satan goes the exact opposite. He flips the order of creation. The Satan, the creation, goes to the woman who leads the man to disobey God. Right, just with a subtle little lie. And it's important you to know, ladies, you're gonna feel pull to be independent because God has created you to partner and bring strength. Men, it's important for you to know that, that God has called you to leave because you're gonna have a tendency toward passivity. And this is right where the commands go in Colossians 3. That's why he's, I told you, the weak spot. He's going to the weak spot, right? He's gonna hit independence. He's gonna hit passivity, all right? So let's just jump right in. You can throw things later, um, but we're just gonna look at the commands, what they mean, and why, kind of how they work a little bit. All right, Colossians 3.18. He starts with the ladies. He says, wives, submit to your husbands, not to anyone else, to your husband, as is fitting in the Lord. All right? Now, it's interesting for our culture, this is where we have the rub. 
This, I mean, out of the four commands given, this is the only one we push back. We have no problem with the love husbands and we have no problem with children obey. We have no problem with don't, don't stress out your kids. But this is the one everyone gets all mad about. But that's because we don't understand what it means. Because when we hear that, we hear oppression, doormat, inferior, voiceless, chained to the kitchen, men calling all the shots, subservient. And none of those are true. It's not what it means. We've already looked at equal. We've looked at distinct. The idea is not you are lesser. The idea is not that you don't have leadership or you don't have a say. Right? That cannot be the case because the design in Genesis 2 was one who brings strength. The Proverbs 31 woman is dressed with strength. She teaches kindness with her mouth. This has nothing to do with that. Right? It's the opposite of the one who brings ability and empowers. And the, and the biggest reason it can't be those things is because Jesus is a model of submission. Jesus knows he is God, yet he submits to the Father. He puts himself under, Philippians 2, right? There's a mutual submission inside the Godhead, the Trinity. Even the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, right? There's such trust and oneness in the, in the, in the Trinity, and there's diff- distinction and different roles, has nothing to do with value or importance. And this is where we have to go back to God is good, y'all. Because what you, I know some of you are already like, oh, this is the 1950s. It's not. It, it doesn't mean that, that, that women do not have leadership in their home. In fact, I think that the exact opposite is true. So it says, submit to your husbands as is fitting. This is the design. But have you ever wondered, this is not a, this is not a one-time deal in the New Testament. It's written several times by d- different apostles, Peter and Paul. But you ever notice that every time he addresses the wives first? You know why I think that is? Because the, the wives are the centerpiece of the family, right? Because no one establishes order in the house except the wife. That's why the command, submit to your husbands, it's actually in the middle voice, which means submit yourself, and it's a voluntary placing under it's not a it's not this like negative thing it's I'm volunteering to put myself under this on my own husbands it is not your job that you have no command here you have no role in this your thing comes next this is her doing this voluntarily it has to be voluntary that's why if someone ever says well no one's going to make me do that that is a true statement no one will except someone who is going to rule and domineer and be abusive, which you need to then call the police, right? It is a voluntary placing, and I don't care. Ladies, let me just encourage you and challenge you. I don't care how good a leader your husband is. He can be George Stinkin' Washington. If you are not willing to follow him, then he cannot lead. That's why the wives are first, because you are essential to this deal. You are the center place, and if you're constantly uh, undermining or challenging, there will be no order. There just, there just cannot be. If, if, the, if the, the wives do not establish order in the home, it will not come, right? Um, you can only have one head. The church has one head. The home has one head. If you have zero heads, you have, a, you have death. You have one, two heads, you have a monster, right? And the idea, again, go back to the beginning. It's not about value. It's about distinction, don't buy into a worldly system of, oh, I have more authority, I'm the boss, I'm more valuable. No, nope, not, not in God's eyes, right? So that's the idea. And again, it fights against what? Independence. 
independence, right? I wanna be independent. I'm called the partner, I wanna be independent. And so it's, it fights against everything in your DNA. I get that. Let me just give you some practical ideas. And again, we got multiple resources. I can only scratch the surface. Let me just, just a few practical things what this may or not, may not look like, right? Um, big thing for, for, for y'all is you have to take control of taking control. And what I mean by that is this, men are slow, not as intuitive, not as in tune with what's going on. And you may have the problem solved before he even knows there's a problem. But what you have to do is be patient with us and let us get there. Because you're fixers, I know it, because you can multitask and you're doing all these things and you're spinning plates and you're doing all this thing. But you are gonna be tempted to just jump in and fix it and do it all. And then guess what? He's off the hook, right? But you need to give him some time and it may be like, well, what do you think about this? It might just be kind of carry him along for a little bit, but you need to be, let him be alive in that process because if you let him be passive, he will. He will. In fact, he'll love it. He'll love it. And for a season, you'll love it. You'll think, oh man, this is great. He lets me do what I want. He lets me make all the decisions. And he just is just kind of back. He just trusts me so much. That's great. But after 15, 16, 17 years of his disengagement and you making all the decisions and carrying the weight and going to all the school this and doing that and making all the decisions, you are going to be tired of being a mom to him. And he's going to enjoy it. He's watching football like, hey, she takes care of everything. Don't empower passivity, Right? Uh, don't, it just takes us longer sometimes. I remember when we were praying about going to seminary, Sarah was there in like a day. Yep, we need to go. I was skeptical because I was like, how are we gonna pay for it? We got a kid on the way. We got another kid over there. I don't make any money. What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? It took me longer. But she, she brought me along in that process and we're like, okay, right? That's the idea. Um, you gotta take control of taking control. And if, look, if there is a, a time, it's never happened for us, but if there's a decision that has to be made and you both are on opposite sides of the spectrum and you just time of prayer and, time, and you cannot come to a, a just a, a equal decision there. And I would say, first of all, you probably should hold off if it's, it doesn't have to be made because I'd be very wary, man, of making a decision that your wife is like, no way. Right? But if you do have to come to that point, because at three o'clock you have to make the decision. Ladies, I would encourage you, put yourself under his, his leadership, headship, and then you can just remind him, God's gonna hold you accountable, not me. That's fine. <laughs> I, did my, I, I obeyed God here. So just remember that. You'll stand before Jesus. As I've never had that in 21 years of marriage. No, you know, There's been things I've been uneasy about, Sarah has, but never like adamantly opposed. Right? Guard against using submission as a manipulative tool or using it as an excuse. And hide. Well, if he would just lead, then I would do. Right? You don't want to encourage passivity. Guard against the battle of attrition. You know what the battle of attrition is? When you just kind of, you both have a bunch of troops and you can just keep fighting. You're losing troops, you're losing troops. And eventually one guy says, I can't lose any more troops. And he quits. And it's always the man who quits first. You're going to force him into passivity. Right? Or you're going to allow him to get into passivity. And you don't want to do that. I think one of the biggest ways you can be an encouragement and a, be a, a partner is, is with your words. Your words are either a weapon or a tool, one or the other. Men, we don't like to admit it, but we care deeply about what you think of us. We just do, and we should, right? So you have to, to 
kind of master the art of stepping in and not stepping over. Because you can shut a man down. We're just weak. I'm just telling you. It's, it's really easy to shut a man down. So if you see that, man, this, my husband needs to be spending more time with the kids or he needs to be doing this. If you come in like, why do you just hate our children so much? You never spend time with them. Shut down, right? But if you come and say, that's stepping over. If you step in and say, hey, uh, you know, man, I think, I think little Johnny would love it if you took him out on Saturday and, and did X. Yeah, that, that's, you're right. You've got the same thing accomplished but you stepped in and not stepping over, right? And, and that's the idea. Your, your words, you just gotta guard your words because men have weak egos. It's just the way we're wired, okay? It's just, it just is. You gotta be careful about nagging. The Proverbs speak extensively about nagging. Better to live in a desert, he says, than with a nagging wife. And Solomon had like a thousand of them, so he must have been out there because <laughs> one of them was nagging, right? I don't see you enough. Well, I got a thousand other wives, yeah. Better to live in a corner of a roof is, is, the, is the metaphor, right? What your husband needs, and again, I know we're, we're shallow and we're simple. They need to feel respect, to be, to be affirmed, right? Uh, to, to feel uh, respected. And, and we'll get to this in a little bit, but so encourage him. Thank, thank you for doing this, honey. Thank you for all that you do. I mean, it's, it, it makes, them, I, I don't know why, it's just how God's wired us up. It's just how we are. When we feel respected, we feel invincible, right? And if, you, if you're in a marriage, just let me say this, if you're in a marriage and your husband is not a believer, or your wife for that matter, Peter addresses this. He says the best way to win your husband is not putting tracks under his pillow or a Bible next to his cereal bowl. The best way to win your husband is by your actions. Just praying for him. Just being kind to him. That's the way you win someone. And I think that's a, a great, the great idea for us and encouragement for us. So that's, that's just briefly. And again, that's briefly just some thoughts for the ladies. Let's go to the men. He says, husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. And again, ironically, this is the command in the first century that would have been super controversial. Not the first one. Is this one. Because love was not supposed to be the basis for a, a marriage in that culture. In fact, a, a wife was seen as a property. She could be rented out. She didn't even eat dinner with them half the time. She, she was not, love was not an issue. It was a transaction, right? And so this idea that we hear now, oh, Paul was a chauvinist and Jesus was a chauvinist. No, actually, Jesus was exalting women. The first women to see Jesus resurrected, first people to see Jesus resurrected was women. Paul is saying, no, no, you are equal. Peter is saying she's a fellow heir. They're actually elevating women in their day and they're not pushing them down. Right, he says love, and, and we could talk about that for hours, but the idea is sacrificial giving of yourself love. And Ephesians 5, Paul is gonna expand this. He, it's just brief here, but he says, how do you love? Like Jesus loves his church. Unconditionally, pursuing, never stopping. And it has nothing to do with reciprocation. Because you read a lot of books. Well, husbands, if you would just help in the kitchen more, if you just vacuum more, then she would. No, no, that's doing something to get something. That's not this. This is unconditional love, period. But what if she does unconditional love, period? Jesus is the model. How does Jesus love his church? He laid down his life. He sacrificed himself for his bride, right? He meets his bride's needs. Well, what about my needs? You ain't in there. 
Well, it's not fair. That's what it means to be a leader. That's, that's, that's the idea. So it's this idea of sacrifice. So if you got 100 bucks left in the budget and you wanted to go to the game and she wants to get her hair done, she's getting her hair done and you're rejoicing in it. And you're complimenting her and you're glad that she got her hair done. And you're going out and you wanna, she wants to see a rom-com and you wanna see the Terminator, you'll be back. Because <laughs> you're going to see when Harry met Sally. It's a sacrifice. When you wanna go out with the boys but your wife really wants you to be with the kids or wants you to be there, you are laying down your life for your bride. And there's a million zillion ways you provide for her. That doesn't mean a woman can't work, but you are providing Spiritually, emotionally, physically. Peter says that you are to live in an understanding way with your bride, according to knowledge, literally is what it says. Right, you, you know her. What's her love language? You don't know, read Gary Chapman's book, Five Love Languages. You spend time with her, you make time for her. That's what you did when you were dating, when you were deceiving her into marrying you. You ask her opinion. And you value it. Honey, I'm really thinking this. What do you think? You don't just say, all right, tomorrow we're moving to Kansas. Yay! I took a new job. Didn't tell you about it. You don't try to solve all our problems. You just listen. You get her a night away with the ladies or you watch the kids. You don't yell at her ever. Does Jesus ever yell at his church? You stinking church. My bride. She's an equal. In fact, Peter says, if you, don't, if you don't live with her in this way, don't even come talk to me. That's what God says. He says, if you do not do this, if you do not live with her in an understanding way, I don't listen to your prayers. It's pretty, it's the only time that's, that's written in the Bible. Yeah, but she, but she. You're the model love. And, and, and it's interesting, he says, don't be harsh with them, or literally, don't be embittered. Don't get bitter because here's the here's thing, here's the truth, men. We get bitter sometimes because we talk about, oh yeah, men and women are different and we're fine with it in the physical level, but then here's what makes men bitter. When your wife doesn't act like you, right? So when you're going, and if you're married, you get this, I think. You're going on vacation. Is anyone else vacation? The prep for vacation is absolutely the worst time in the history of man, right? And so I pack for vacation. I could pack for, go, I could go to Russia for a month and I could pack in like 36 seconds, right? <laughs> Got it. Three pairs of jeans, three pairs of socks, you know, whatever. But see, and this is for the single folks out there. Women don't pack that way, at least the ones I know, my daughter and my wife. They, they, they put outfits together, not T-shirts. What am I gonna wear Thursday? Well, there's three options. So put all three in there. <laughs> what shoes am I gonna wear with that? And I need this for my hair. And that's just one day. And so I pack in 30 seconds. It takes her 30 hours. And I didn't realize this at first, but that's different. And it, here's what happens. That's just a common little thing. But we get bitter and frustrated and angry and smolder because they're not like us. But that's exactly how God has designed them to be different and to be complimentary and to come alongside and to give you strength and to sanctify you. And, 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 and so we get mad because you know, we can just talk about this and we can move from this subject to this subject to this subject because our brains are just little boxes and we have a little box and we close that box and we move and a lady's brain's like spaghetti and everything's related and so she's talking about high school and now she's talking about taxes and you're like, how are those related? They are in her mind, they're not in yours and we get mad <laughs> because I didn't, I'm not dealing with that. But the idea is do not get bitter because she is distinct. 
Don't get mad because she's put expectations on you that, well, I don't, I don't do that to her. Why is she doing that to me? That's how a man gets bitter, right? That's how a man gets angry. He says, do not do this. And again, you see both models, right? Both models were following Jesus, aren't we? We're loving like Jesus. We're submitting like Jesus. We're just following Jesus. And that's what we are. We're Christ followers, right? And, and the big idea here is if you get nothing else, Paul summarizes his teaching on, on, on marriage in Ephesians 5. He says, here's kind of boiling it down to this. Let each of you love his wife as himself, right? That's to the husbands. And, and the wife sees that she respects her husband. The, the, the man's greatest need, ladies, your husband's greatest need is respect. That's how he's wired up. Husbands, your wife's greatest need is to be loved and cherished and to feel that. Right? That's, that's, it's not to be respected, it's to be cherished. And when you understand the distinction, this is where Emerson Egrich's book, Love and Respect, is so good because he kind of grinds this to a pulp and just kind of opens it up. But if you will focus on, on making your wife feel loved, if you'll focus on your husband feeling respected, you will, he calls it this energizing cycle that you, as a husband, as you, as you respond in love and kindness and gentleness, your wife will respond with respect. And then when you feel respected, you'll respond in love and it's an energizing cycle and it, and it gives you oneness and intimacy. But what happens... If one of those, if, if the husband doesn't call, he's, he's running late and the wife made a great meal and, and she went to a family dinner and he doesn't call and he's an hour late and he comes in, he's like, oh, I'm not really hungry. She feels unloved. And so what does she do? She responds with disrespect. You just always do this. You never call me, you, never, you don't care about anything. And because he's disrespected, what does he do? He responds unloving. And you get on this crazy cycle of, of now you're blowing it up because every time I'm disrespected, I respond unloving. Every time I feel unloved, I'm, I'm disrespectful. And and it takes one Christian to get off the cycle and say, I'm sorry, I should have called, that was wrong. Will you forgive me? And to get back on that energizing cycle. And that's the idea. And so I would say applicationally, I mean, there's a lot here, but if husbands, if you could just purposefully want, do one thing every day this week, to make your wife feel cherished and loved? What would that be? That's your homework. Every day. It may be a phone call, it may be flowers, it may be a day, I, I don't know. That's your job. Ladies, if you could do one thing every day to, to make your husband feel respected. You gotta figure that out in your community groups, or whatever. That's your homework. Right, that's your homework, that's your application for this. And see what happens to our, to our families. Right? The key is both of us walking with Jesus. Seeing the other person is more important than ourselves. All right, I gotta roll. Let's get to kids real quick. Children, obey your parents. All right, that's good. Obey your parents. All right, next. Uh, no. Here's the idea, kids. Teenagers, little ones, college students. You say, well, when do I have to stop obeying? When you pay your own car insurance and your cell phone bill. Those two things. You're not paying car insurance and cell phone and your own health care. That's number three. You're on your own health care, then you're good. The idea is when you're under your parents' house, you're under their authority. And this is, this is what Paul says in, in Ephesians. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you want your life to be blessed, and I'm not prosperity gospel, but ultimately principle, if you want your life to be blessed, obey your parents, period. Because if you can learn to put yourself under their authority, 18-year-old who knows everything in the world and has got it all together, 
then you will struggle less in life where there is authority everywhere. A boss, an IRS, a general, a somebody. If, you can, if you're constantly the bucking authority person, you're gonna struggle. If you can learn to put yourself under the authority that God has ordained in your life, it will go well for you in the land. Right? And so, sneaking out, having three finstas that mom doesn't know about, lying about where you're going, you know, all these little things that y'all think you're so brilliant, right? It, it, it's actually a sign of the end times where children are disrespectful and dishonoring their parents. If you wanna align yourself with God, you wanna see blessing in your life, obey your parents, right? Even, not if they tell you to sin, we know that, right? I mean, that's the, un, I don't need to say that. But obey your parents. Just listen to what they have to say. I promise you, as a parent, we do not want to destroy your life. We do not want to embarrass you, always. We love you, right? And we sacrifice everything for you. You'll get this one day, I promise. You don't realize the financial, the emotional, the time. You don't realize the, the hours of no sleep, right? Just, I, I encourage you guys, teenagers, if you're going down a path, just trust your parents. Listen to them. God will honor that. And if you're rolling with a bunch of people that are encouraging you to, to lie and encouraging you to sneak, I know it's hard, but you need to break that off because you're gonna become like that. You just will. And if you've got a buddy that's like lying to his mom and says, well, my mom doesn't want me to go there, but we're gonna go there anyway. You be the bigger one. Say, hey, we can go where your mom wants us to go. It's fine. It's hard, I know, 16-year-olds. I get it. That's what God's calling you to do, right? Last one, fathers. Oh, did I put that one on? Oh, I was gonna get to that, but you can go back and listen to that series. I was in early in spring. Fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Again, and this could actually be translated fathers and mothers, but he addresses the dads. Don't be a discourager to your kids. And there's multiple ways we can do that. We can set expectations that they never meet. We can have conditional love. I mean, if you're the dad or the mom that your kid strikes out three times and you won't talk to him in the car, come on. No one cares. If you, I mean, if your kid strikes out in T-ball, you probably need to pull him out, but um, <laughs> so that's their, it's not their sport, okay? And that's okay. But I mean, really? It's a game. No one cares. I mean, no one cares about... I mean, most of you still aren't upset about the Braves getting knocked out of the playoffs, right? You don't care about that, and that's big. If your love is conditional, then you're gonna exasperate your kids. If you have no expectations, you're gonna, you're gonna exasperate your kids. If you never discipline your kids, God disciplines those whom he loves. You're gonna exasperate your kids. You're gonna frustrate them. If they have to walk around on eggshells because they don't know what dad they're getting today, are they getting angry dad or are they getting nice dad? You're gonna exasperate your kids. And, and we and, and go back to the chart real quick. And we did this before. Oh, oh you took it down. Okay. There you go. See, the, here's the goal. And we, did, we did a whole series on this. You can look at it online. In the zero to five ages, you're trying to establish authority in the home. That's what you want to do. Establish trust dad, trust mom, obey mom, obey dad. And that six to 12, and these, aren't, these ages are not like biblical. It's just about that. You're developing responsibility. You're giving them tasks. You're doing the dishes. You're doing the yard. They're learning to do, have responsibility and carry weight so that when they get into those teen years and, and older, they've carried weight. They know what it is to, to have responsibility and they're facilitating independence. You're preparing them to get out. Thank you, Jesus. 
but so that they don't blow up and they've never carried any weight. They don't know authority. They don't know how to function. This is kind of the path you want to be taking. And if you're not doing that, you're going to exasperate them because they're going to get in the real world and there's no participation trophies in the real world, right? That's, that's the way it is. And so we don't want to exasperate our kids. I've gone over. Say I love you to your kids. Tell your boys and girls you're proud. It sounds the same, but it's different. It's kind of a different pathway to their heart. They need to hear that. Love on them, hug them, and spend time with them. And don't buy the myth of quality time because it's not true. It's elusive. You don't know what quality time is. I'm gonna have some quality time with my kids this weekend. Really? Quality time takes place, I've told you this before, in the, in the context of quantity time. And typically, it's not what you expect. So you can take this great vacation to Europe, and they're not even gonna care about that, but they're gonna remember the goldfish that ate the other goldfish at the airport. You just wasted five grand. Have a nice day. <laughs> quantity time is where quality time takes place. Right? And that's why I don't play golf. Not, a, not only that, I'm not good, but it's, it's a... <laughs> Because I don't, I don't have a lot of time left. One day I'll play golf. I'll still be better than Clayton, but that's all right. All right, we're gonna worship. That's a lot, I know. Um, but again, the goal is that our families would reflect the gospel. A place where the gospel can thrive and be distinct. And I know this is distinct. Look, this, we're Christians. We're followers of Jesus. We're distinct. And there's two characteristics I just wanna close with as we follow Jesus. There's two characteristics of, of Christ's followers. Number one, there's, there's humility and repentance. Where you failed, own it. All right, because we all have. And maybe you need as a teenager to go to your mom and dad today and say, I'm sorry. Maybe you're a parent that needs to apologize to your kid and say, I'm sorry. Maybe you're a spouse that needs to say, I'm sorry. Whatever it is, that's what we do. Because we're sinners. So don't be proud, so proud that you, you can't own your deal. And the second characteristic of Christian is we forgive. Right? We show grace. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving. Why? Because God in Christ has forgiven you. And you will never be sinned against more than you sinned against God. Just remember that. So we're gonna worship. We're gonna sing. Uh, let me pray. You guys stand with me. And if you need to talk to somebody, love to talk to you. Um, we got folks on, pastors on staff that are not perfect, but they can point you to the one who is. We got some resources up here. This is just a few ones that I recommend. You can just take a picture of them. So there's some of them in our library across the street if you wanna borrow it and read it. That's, uh, they're available for you. Let me pray and then we'll sing. Father, I ask that you would um, take these, these truths that are challenging and uh, countercultural a little bit, but at the same time, they're good. They're perfect and you love us and you've told us how this works best. And so I just pray for our church that that would be just something we're pursuing. I pray for conversations to happen this week, for forgiveness to happen this week, um, for humility to be in our church, that we are not there, we have not arrived, but yet you are good. So we trust you and love you in Jesus' name.